We are in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 10 tonight. And as I said, we're going to be wrapping up this letter. I read a story about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. You guys are familiar with these characters, right? Well, in this story, it said that they went camping once. And one night after sleeping for a few hours, Sherlock woke up in the middle of the night and he nudged Watson. And he goes, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. And Watson was like, oh, well, this is my opportunity, right? You know, Sherlock's asking me. So he looks up and he goes, well, I see a wonderful tapestry of stars. And Sherlock Holmes says, and what does that tell you? And he goes, well, astronomically, there are millions of stars and galaxies and billions of planets out there. Horologically... I don't even know what that word means, but he goes, it's a quarter past three in the morning, so I guess that means a study of time. He goes, theologically, I can surmise that our God is infinite and all-powerful, and, 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 and we're just small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I could say we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow because the sky is so clear. And then Watson goes, well, Mr. Holmes, what does it tell you? And Sherlock said, after a long pause, someone stole our tent. (laughs) Such an obvious and elementary conclusion, right? I tell that story because I think humanity, we as human beings, we have a tendency to focus on the superfluous, the, the not really important, and miss the obvious when it's right in front of us. Or... Our nature is to focus less on the important conclusions of things and focus more on the less important conclusions of things. And we do it all the time. We do it with our universe, you know. We all know that, that the universe is expanding. Science has, has determined and found that it is expanding from a single point outward. We know that. We also know, according to modern science, that the universe is winding down, that it is running down according to the second law of thermodynamics, which says that the usable energy in the universe is running out. We also see this truth by looking in the mirror, right? Every day we look in the mirror and we realize, oh, we're running down too. (laughs) We're getting older, right? We're running down just like the rest of the universe around us. And um, because of this running down of things, it's the very reason why we get to enjoy a warm, sunny day. You know, the reason we get to enjoy a warm, sunny day is because the sun lost part of its mass, right? The sun is burning, and it's burning out. And that radiation that comes off the sun, it's every second our sun loses 4.2 million tons of its mass as it burns up and emits heat. And this means that one day, as our sun had a beginning, as our universe had a beginning, it also means that one day it will have an end. This is true of our universe, this is true of our planet, this is true of our lives. And so we have come to the end of Second Peter, right? We've mentioned a couple times that as Peter was writing this letter, this was at a time where he has come to the end of his life. He was well aware that he was gonna soon pass on from this world in Second Peter 1.14. He said, I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, referring to his physical body that I'm soon going to pass away. And what he discusses in this very last section of the letter takes us all the way to the very end of time, the very end of time itself. And so Peter's idea here, 
as he started with this idea that my tent, I will soon lay aside my tent, we come to the end of his letter and he's saying it's time for me to break camp and move on. But he wants to leave us with a very important and powerful thought that the universe will also one day end. And so we need to be aware of these things. And so believers over the years have used a phrase, well, it's all going to burn anyways. You ever said that? You know, we use that phrase to kind of um, explain or express our unattachment to things, right? You know, you get a dent on your car, and you're like, well, it's going to burn anyways, or, you know, something, right? We, we, we use that phrase to, to, to express the, the temporary nature of things. But it's not just a euphemism. It's truth. And the truth of that you ought to motivate and encourage us because it's a truth not to miss. It's a very important truth that, that, that really has a lot to do with how we live our lives as believers. So last Sunday, uh, we spoke of the day of the Lord in the first 10 verses of this chapter, and we looked at the day of the Lord in view of scoffers and really how it was a warning towards the scoffers, right? Well, tonight we're going to look briefly at the day of the Lord again in view of believers and what believers should be doing in preparation of that time. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into the verses. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you inspired Peter to, to write these letters, Lord. We thank you that your Holy Spirit just, just spoke to him and that he penned, Lord, what it was you were inspiring him to write, God. And we thank you that we have it today to read and to study, to learn from, Lord, to apply to our lives that we would grow more and more uh, like you. We would grow closer and closer to you. And so, God, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would encourage us, Lord. Remind us as, as we need to be reminded, Lord, that this world is temporary, this life is temporary, the things of this life are temporary, and that one day, God, we will be called to, to lay aside our tent, to fold up our tent, and Lord, one day this whole universe will be undone. And so, Lord, help us to, to live with that in mind, to live with that in view, to live with that as a motivator to us, to make the important things the important things, to draw the proper conclusions on how we should live and who we should be, and to not get distracted with, with, with extraneous things or, or, or peripheral things, but Lord, to keep the most important priority of you and our life in you and our obedience to you and, and, and glorifying you in our lives is, is, is key and at the top of our list, Lord. And so we love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot, without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all of his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught 
and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall away from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So as Peter closes this letter, he makes three declarations about the future. And since he opened his letter with a camping metaphor and talking about his tent, we're going to close with a camping metaphor as well, okay? So the first declaration he makes about the future is that the campground is temporary, that it's all going to burn. The second declaration he makes is that we have a final destination that will never end. And the third declaration he makes is that our GPS is absolutely accurate. So verse 10, we find this first declaration about the future as he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And then in verse 12, he says, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire, and the elements will melt with heat. What Peter is doing here is expanding uh, on what he said earlier in the chapter. If you remember from Sunday in verses five through seven, he was talking about the false teachers. He was talking about that wanna tw- those that want to twist scripture and lie about who Jesus is and lie about what the word says, specifically those who want to deny that God is coming back. They want to deny that judgment is coming. And he says in verse five of 2 Peter 3, they deliberately overlook this. And he goes on to say, by the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago And the earth was brought about from water and through water. And through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. And he says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. So if you put the whole thought together, what Peter is saying is, look, just as the the material that was used in creation, water, was used as a means of destruction. He's talking about the waters, you know, when they were split and the waters above and the waters below and the vapor canopy and all of that. He goes, in the same way or in a similar way, the materials that currently exist in the heavens and the earth will become components of its future destruction is what he's getting at. He says it'll be through fire. There's fire all around us if you think about it. If you take a moment to think about our world, to think about our solar system and our sun, and to think about the universe, it is full of burning, fiery masses, perpetually exploding nuclear bombs called stars. There's so many of them, they're more than the sands of the sea, right? Our sun, the surface temperature of our sun is 12,000 degrees. Now, sometimes when you put something in the microwave a little bit too long, it comes out at 12,000 degrees, doesn't it? Or at least it feels like it. No, not even close. The core of our sun is said to be 27 million degrees. Okay, we call that hot fire. Burning hot fire. And this is why we can enjoy a warm, sunny day 93 million miles away from that sun. (laughs) Because it is so hot and burning with such fervency. But then when you look at our own planet, scientists say that the core of the earth is 12,400 degrees. That's hot. The core of our earth is, is hotter than the surface of the sun. 
And the only thing separating us from that is this little crust, the Earth's crust that is about 9 to 12 miles thick on average. That's the only thing separating us from this 12,000-degree ball of fire that's underneath our feet. The entire creation, the entire physical universe due to its basic atomic structure is basically one gigantic nuclear bomb. And the Bible says one day, it's all going to go down in fire and something new will be in its place. Now, this wasn't just some fanciful idea of Peter's overactive imagination. <laughs> He's referring to what God had already revealed in Scripture. And remember, in the first 10 verses, we, we established, he says, look, go back and look at Scriptures if you want truth, right? Base truth on Scriptures. Well, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, it says, look, the Lord will come with fire, his chariots are like the whirlwind to execute his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment on all humanity with his fiery sword. Did you miss it? Three times, fire, all right? Micah chapter one, verse four, the mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them. And that word consume them literally means to burn them up in a blaze. The Bible says over and over and over again that one day this earth and one day all of creation is going to end. And here, as Peter is writing, along with the prophets in the Old Testament, we read how? By fire. Now, there's a chronological concern I want to address here in these verses. If you look at 2 Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. The problem here is when you read this in the CSB, you go, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then on that day, it then describes the decreation of everything, right? The burning up of the heavens. So when he says, on that day, the heavens will pass away, is he referring to the day of the Lord? You know, if you remember, the day of the Lord, I believe, is a time period. It's a time period that begins with the rapture of the church. It includes the seven years of tribulation, and it concludes with the second coming of Christ. That's the day of the Lord. That's what I believe the Bible teaches, that the day of the Lord is. You remember that word day. It could mean a 24-hour period, or it can mean an era, right? The day of smartphones, right? It's the example I used. So if the day of the Lord is this period from the rapture to the second coming of Christ, and then right here it says, on that day the heavens will pass away, is he saying that the destruction of creation will happen at the second coming of Christ? Well, that doesn't make sense because the Bible teaches that on the second coming of Christ, there is then a thousand-year kingdom set up, a millennial reign of Christ on this earth, where Jesus himself rules here on earth for a thousand years. And so how do we reconcile this chronologically? Well, here's the fun language stuff. That phrase, on that day, or on the day that it says there, on that day the heavens will pass away, it's actually a very difficult Greek relative pronoun to render. In the Greek, it's simply the pronoun en hos, en hos. 
It's a pronoun that means in the course of which. That would be a literal translation of it. So the word day isn't even there, right? Other translations in this verse, 2 Peter 3.10, will say, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, then the heavens, and it goes on to talk about how the heavens and creation undoes, indicating that the day of the Lord is this time frame, and then something in an unspecified time after happens. Other translations say the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then it goes, in which the heavens, and it goes on to describe this burning up of the heavens. That phrase, in which, indicates that the entire um, end time scenario is in view. And that's what I believe the CSB is trying to get at when it says the day of the Lord will, day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, this era, then in some specified, unspecified time after. And the reason I believe that, we find in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. This is what it says there. John writing as he was given this revelation of the future, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, when we get to Revelation, it's going to be a really fun study, but snapshot. When you get to Revelation 21, by the time you get to Revelation 21, the day of the Lord has passed. The rapture happened, tribulation happened, the second coming of Jesus had already happened. By the time you get to Revelation 21, the millennial reign of Christ has already taken place, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. So you got the day of the Lord, this time period of God's judgment on earth, already passed. You got the millennial reign of Christ already passed. And so after the tribulation, after the second coming, after the millennial kingdom is over and complete, you have this time frame where the entirety of creation will pass away, will be done away with. Now when it says that phrase there, heaven and earth, that is a phrase referring to earth and all of creation. All right? it's, it's a way to say everything. And so he says the entirety of creation will pass away. Essentially what that's talking about is the end of humanity on this globe in this universe as we know it. So Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first one had passed away. And this took place after, at least it appears to be to me, after chronologically the day of the Lord, the millennial reign of Christ. So when you go back to 2 Peter 3.10, and it says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day, again, that phrase on that day is saying, there's going to be this time of judgment on the earth, and then in this end time, time period of the history of mankind, there will be a time where creation is undone. That's what I believe it's saying. Now, we don't know exactly when the whole end times clock starts, right? We don't know when, right? That's why it says it'll come like a thief in the night, right? It's, it's going to be unexpected when the clock starts. But when that clock starts, the Bible is very clear. Seven years, a thousand years, right? There's, there's very precise time frames that the Bible talks about once that clock starts, and once that clock starts, the end will eventually come. And here we know how, by fire. Verse 10, the elements will burn and be dissolved. Verse 12, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. 
Now, personally, I think what this is referring to uh, harkens back to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, Paul is talking about how all things were created through Jesus, right? Everything in creation was created through Jesus. Um, and, And it says that the things that are visible and the things that are invisible was all created from him. I believe when it's talking about the things invisible, it's referring to that stuff we can't see with our eyes that make up creation, atoms and quarks and electrons and all that stuff that you have to have very powerful microscopes to see. But what's interesting is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, speaking of Jesus being the one who created all things, it says, and by him all things hold together. That word hold means to be held tightly together or to be glued together. Or another way to put it would be to be held together against their will. Right, here's the problem. The atoms, the very building blocks of everything that exists, which science says should break apart due to the laws of electrostatic force and magnetism, and they say that because protons and neutrons have opposite electrical charges, and according to the laws of electrostatic force and magnetism, opposite charges repel each other. There's no reason why protons and neutrons stay together and make atoms. And science knows that they're currently held together by some force that they can't identify. Interesting, the Bible said it's Jesus. (laughs) But if those atoms were to suddenly split apart, if every atom that makes up every molecule of matter in the entire universe were to suddenly split apart, if the force that was holding them together, God's hand, who says in him all things hold together, if God just went and let go, the entire universe would melt down in an atomic conflagration. Pretty interesting. So Jesus will one day uncreate his creation. It'll be destroyed. Now someone goes, well, someone might say, well, didn't God promise Noah that he would never destroy the earth again? Well, you gotta read the fine print there. It said he would never destroy the earth again by water but he will one day destroy the earth and all of creation by fire. So that first point, the campground, is temporary. Right? It's temporary, but our final destination is not. Look at verse 13. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What promise is he referring to there? Well, I believe it's in Isaiah 66, where it says, the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will remain before me. That idea will remain before me means they will be forever. The new heaven and the new earth which I will make will be forever. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Guess what that place was he was preparing? This new heavens and this new earth. This is the eternal place that we're going to find ourselves after everything is said and done. Again, back in Revelation 21.1, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That word new there means new of a different sort or new of a different kind. It means new in quality. It means new in the sense that it's unlike anything previously known. In other words, this new heaven, the new heavens and the new earth won't be like earth as we know it. The universe won't be like the universe as we know it. It won't even be the earth that was in the millennial millennial reign. All of that will be gone and remade. It'll be a completely new environment, something totally different. What will it look like? I don't know. 
it doesn't tell us, it's not going to, oh, it's going to be like the Avatar planet. That would be cool, but I don't know. I don't know. It just says that it's going to be new. In a com- it's going to be completely different than anything previously known. Now, in Revelation 21, he goes on to say this, speaking of this time. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more, no more grief, crying, pain. It will all be no more because the previous things have passed away. It'll be a, an experience, a life, an existence completely unlike anything that's ever been known before. And then in verse 5 of Revelation, Revelation 21, it says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Our future destination is forever. The place we're going to, the place we're saved and kept for, It's a forever place. I read a story of an arrogant scientist who was just so mad at God, angrily shaking his fist at God, and he said, they say you created the world. Well, don't you feel outdated now that science has now figured out how to do everything you could do? We have cloning, and we have this, and we we could do everything you did, God. Don't you feel outdated? So God spoke to this angry scientist and said, okay, I tell you what, I challenge you to a contest. And the scientist said, okay, deal. So God grabbed a handful of dirt, blew on it, and out of his hand flew this beautiful flock of exotic birds. And God said, your turn. And the scientist, scientist rubbed his hands together and took a deep breath knowing that he had mastered all the sciences of soil manipulation and cloning and bioengineering. He's like, I got this. And he reaches down and he grabs a handful of dirt and God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Get your own dirt. (laughs) Don't just assemble things out of existing material. You know, God created everything out of nothing, the Bible tells us. He created everything out of nothing. And then one day he will uncreate it. And then we'll create out of, nothing, out of nothing a new heavens and a new earth. This is the hope we look forward to as believers. This is the hope we look forward to. This is what the Bible promises. This is our final destination, and it is forever. The third declaration that, that uh, Peter makes about the future here is that our GPS is absolutely accurate. We have instructions, a roadmap to get there that is absolutely dependable. Look at verse 13. He said, based on this promise, right, the promises of God are found all over his word. And all throughout Peter's writings specifically, he constantly points back to the scriptures. He's always pointing back to the scriptures. The prophet said this. Jesus said this. He's constantly pointing to the word of God. Then in verse 15, he says, also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all of his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. 
And so now he said, you know, go back to the prophets, go back to, the Jesus, go back to Jesus and what he said. He goes, look, Jesus gave us commands and the apostles, we gave them to you. And now he includes Paul the apostle. The word of scripture, the Old Testament prophets, words of Jesus, other writings in the New Testament, including Paul, they all provide to us an infallible GPS to get to our destination. They make sure that we get there, we get there well, and we get there successfully. And the first way they do that, I believe, is they motivate our will to live now in a way that glorifies God. Look again at verse 11. Since all these things, I'm bouncing around the verses, but I'm trying to pull the thoughts together. So, verse 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. It's a very logical thought, a very logical question, right? If the entire material universe is going to be destroyed one day, what kind of person should I be? How should I live my life? The wrong answer is, oh, I should be a materialistic person. If the material world is going to be destroyed one day, the wrong answer is to live your life as a materialistic person. The correct answer Live your life as a spiritual person. You should be a person who lives for what's beyond the material world. You should be a person that, that's living for what is forever. To not be someone of this world, but to be a person of that world, right? And the Bible talks about that over and over. We are citizens of his kingdom. Then verse 14, he says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, Make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. This one's interesting to me because he's going, look, everything here is going to be burned up with fire. <laughs> the whole universe is going to just be burned up. Earth is going to be burned up. It's all going to be burned up and destroyed. So, so wait for this with peace. How is it that we can wait for this end time scenario? with peace. Well, peace is a state of mind that is one of the very first byproducts a believer gets when there is a commitment to Christ and when that person is born again. When they put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, one of the very first things we get from that is peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding the Bible talks about. It's a peace that comes upon us knowing that he took care of my greatest need. He paid the price for my sin. I've been made right with my creator. And because of that, I am now a co-heir with Christ in the, in the riches of, of God. And, and, and I know I'm going to go to heaven. I know I'm going to go to paradise, right? And then here on this earth, I know he hears me and he's interceding for me and, and, and all of that stuff. And because we know the scenario, because we know the, the end, we know how it plays out based on the truth of God's word, our minds can be at ease. Look at verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led astray or led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. Right, as Peter is concluding this, this whole section where he's been really dealing harshly with false teachers and people who, who make up lies about the Bible and lies about who Jesus is and who he isn't and twist scripture to, 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 to say, well, no, I'm going to twist it to make it say what I want to say. And he's dealing with them very harshly. He goes, look, be on your guard. 
because you already know the truth of what is to come because God has revealed it to you in his word. You know the truth. You know the, the, you have the, 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 the game plan. You know how it's going to turn out. So be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people. Peter's like, you know this stuff. You have the prophetic scriptures. I've taught you. You have what the, the apostles wrote. You have what Jesus said. You have what Paul wrote. And knowing this should give you a stability that will keep you from falling off the path that will keep you from stumbling into error. You know, when, when, when me and you see, and I talked about this on Sunday, when we see how, how Scripture predicts future events, and we could go back and look at the event and it happened exactly as Scripture predicted it. When we see that happening over and over and over and over and over again, logic dictates that we should be able to then say, well, if everything here he said happened exactly as he said it's gonna be, then all the other stuff that hasn't happened yet, it's gonna happen exactly as he said it. The prophetic word is, is dependable. And so when people come along and say, no, Jesus isn't gonna come back, and you look at the Bible and it says, well, the Bible says he is. Who's a liar? The false teacher. When, when the Bible says one thing and people try and teach something else, you don't, oh, well, that makes sense. That's more tolerable. That's more acceptable. You know, that's more palatable to the social justice climate of today. I think I'm going to go. You're going to fall off the path. When we can trust God's word, and we can because prophecy is, is proven it over and over again, our thinking is stabilized, our fears are calmed, our hearts are steadied, and it keeps us from falling into doctrinal instability and losing confidence in the truth. This is what he was getting at in verse 16 when he characterizes these people as untaught and unstable because they twist the truth of Scripture. And so verse 18, he closes with this but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Instead of being untaught, unstable, instead of being led away by twisted truths, you go back to 1 Peter 1.1. And those lessons there where we, where we learned that Peter was talking about building on the sure foundation. Build your life on the sure foundation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible is God's word, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. What it says is true. And so build on that. And he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as taught in his word. Be people of holy conduct. Be people of godliness without spot or blemish. This is talking about the while we're preparing to break camp, because one day we're going to have to break camp and move on. But while we're preparing for that, be these people that reflect God in, in, a, in a holy and a righteous way. And we do that through saturating ourselves in his words so that you will know truth from error. We can't be people who never pick, pick up our own Bible, never read our own Bible, and just simply, we, just, we, we come to church and we hear a pastor preach and we go, hey, that's great, that's cool, and then we never think about the Bible until the next time we come to church. That's not enough. 
Yes, pastors, we have a calling to feed and to guide and to counsel and to nurture, but, but a part of this is to, is to equip and teach and train you guys how to open up the word of God and feed from it yourselves. But if you don't, if you don't saturate yourself in that, it's gonna be very difficult to distinguish between truth and error when it's presented to you. And so we wanna be in that place of just, just fully, fully just saturated with the word of God, learning of Jesus and who he is and how he wants us to be and, and letting the Holy Spirit mold us and shape us here in this, this world now. And, and, and that all happens as we submit to him, as we trust him, as we endeavor to live our lives in obedience to him. Because just like Peter, one day, one day, we will all break camp and move on. It might be in death. It might be when Jesus comes to take us away. But we will all one day break camp and move on. But so will the universe. So will this earth. So will the things of this material world. So let this knowledge motivate motivate us to godly, holy, confident, expectant, peaceful living. I found this story, and I just wanted to close with this. Um, somebody read it at a funeral once. But it says, Mr. Tentmaker, it was nice living in this tent when it was strong and secure, and the sun was shining and the air was warm. But, Mr. Tentmaker, it's scary now. My tent is acting like it's not going to hold together. The poles seem weak, and they shift with the wind. And a couple of the stakes have wiggled loose from the sand, and worst of all, the canvas has a rip. It no longer protects me from the beating rain or the stinging flies. It's scary in here, Mr. Tentmaker. Last week, I was sent to the repair shop, and some repairman tried to patch the rip in my canvas. It didn't help much, though, because the patch pulled away from the edges, and now the tear is worse. What troubled me most, Mr. Tentmaker, is that the repairman didn't seem to notice that I was still in the tent. They just worked on the canvas while I shivered inside. I cried once, but no one heard me. I guess my real question is this. Why did you give me such a flimsy tent? I can see by looking around the campground that some of the other tents are much stronger and more stable than mine. Why, Mr. Tentmaker, did you pick a tent of such poor quality for me? And even more important, what do you intend to do about it? Well, then God speaks and says, oh, little tent dweller, as the creator and provider of tents, I know all about you and your tent, and I love you both. I made a tent for myself once, and I lived in it in your campground. My tent was vulnerable too, and some vicious attackers ripped it to pieces while I was still in it. It was a terrible experience, but you'll be glad to know that they couldn't hurt me. In fact, the whole occurrence was a tremendous advantage because it is this very victory over my enemy that frees me to be a present help to you. Little tent dweller, I am now prepared to come and live in your tent with you, if you will invite me. You will learn as we dwell together that real security comes from my being in your tent with you. When the storms come, you can huddle in my arms, and I'll hold you. When the canvas rips, We'll go to the repair shop together. But someday, little tent dweller, your tent will collapse, for I have only designed it for temporary use. And when it does, you and I will leave together. I promise not to leave before you do. And then, free of all that would hinder or restrict, 
we will move into our permanent home together and forever rejoice and be glad. You know, the universe is winding down. When we look in the mirror, we see we are winding down every day. But we're not living for this world. We shouldn't be living for this world as Christians. We have a better world ahead. And when we live with that truth in mind, and when we're confident of that truth because we're grounded in the Word of God, it will motivate us. And the Scripture will continue to be our GPS to keep us solidly on the path to Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of what it says. We thank you, Lord, that your word reveals you to us, that we would know you. God, we thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth and clothing yourself with flesh, as, as John 1 says, Lord, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, that we would be able to know you in a different way. But Lord, you came to pay the price for our sin, to die on a cross, that through faith in what you did, we would be able to be saved. That God, our breaking of your holy commandment, the sin we've committed against you, and the penalty that that deserved would all be dealt with in your sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you, God, that you rose from the dead, defeating death. We thank you, God, that you ascended to heaven and that you sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And we thank you, Lord, that your says that even now as the Holy Spirit dwells within us, Jesus, you are in heaven interceding for us. God, help us to live with expectant hope of the fulfillment of our salvation to go to be with you, Lord. But God, may these warnings of the truth of judgment coming upon sin and sinners, Lord, that we would take it seriously, Lord, that we would let it motivate us to holy living and godliness, that we wouldn't be deceived into thinking we're okay with you when we're really not, Lord, that we wouldn't be deceived in putting our hope and our faith in anything but your death on the cross. But Lord, as we do live forward in holiness and godliness and spotless and without blemish, Lord, I pray, God, that the witness of, 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 of our lives, God, you working in and through us, Lord, would, would allow us to bring other people to the salvation that we have. We thank you, Lord, that you spoke through Peter, God, and that he penned these words, Lord. And we know that these were the last recorded words we have of him before he left this earth. And so, Lord, may these words just guide us and direct us, Lord, to knowing that one day, God, we're going to have to break camp. So, Lord, let's be ready to do that. Let's be ready for you to come to get us. Let's be ready to go home. And, God, let's stay firm in your word that we would know the directions and not be led astray or, or, or distracted with any untruths about who you are, what you did, how serious you take sin, and that you're coming back to judge the world. And Lord, help us to be people who constantly proclaim the truth that before that judgment comes, if people would simply call out to you, if they would simply put their faith and trust in you, if they would simply come to you, God, and ask for forgiveness, God, you will forgive them. 
and that they would be in that place of knowing that they are saved from the judgment, the wrath of God on sin. So Father, we pray, God, that you just keep doing a work in and through our lives. We pray, God, for opportunity to share with those that don't know you. And we pray, God, that they would come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. We love you so much, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.